You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. Good, everybody. Buongiorno, buenos dias, ni hao, konnichiwa, bitches. Welcome, one and all, to Abakabu Cafe, the internet's own English language Kimagure Orange Road podcast. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I will be discussing OVA number five entitled Stage of Love Equals Heart on Fire. Spring is for Idols. Not really sure what that means. I don't even know what the hell that means, but I'm going to go with it. This OVA was originally released on May 1st of 1990, which is a little weird for any Orange Road media to be released in a decade that's not the 80s. This is like the quintessential 80s piece of media in my mind, so it's really weird to see a 90s date on it, even if it is 1990. It's barely the 90s, but still feels a little weird. I don't want to see all of our favorite characters like Kasuga, Ayukawa, dressing all grunge and shit, like Kurt Cobain. Today's OVA was directed by Yoshinaga Naoyuki, and this is the first episode for Yoshinaga to direct. But Yoshinaga will be back for the next episode, Birth of a Star, as well as Message in Rouge. Today's OVA was written by none other than Terada Kenji. This will be the 21st episode written by Terada that we've talked about so far. Most recently, Terada wrote episode 44, and that was Kasuga Celebrates Valentine's Day in Hell. Furthermore, Terada is going to write four out of the five episodes that we have left to talk about after today's OVA. I've mentioned before the opening, Choose Me. I really love it. It it probably doesn't hurt that this is the very first opening to Orange Road that I ever heard as an American viewer. 
the OVAs were made available to us first. And so naturally, the first thing I ever popped in my VHS player in 1995 was the first video cassette released by Animago. And the very first episode included Choose Me as its opening. So I've always had a bit of a soft spot for this one. I think it slaps. I enjoyed the footage from episode one with the sepia tint to make it look aged, even before I had even seen episode one. The aged up footage does a good job of making this scene nostalgic, even though this was only released a few years after the end of the TV series. I mean, 1990 isn't a far cry from 1987. It's not like you're looking back decades, but even still, it made me kind of wistful for episode one in those early days of Kasuga and Ayuko's relationship. So it pumps up the nostalgia factor that the series is already really well known for. Images of spring open today's OVA and establish the setting for us. Images of feet as girls are heard running. There's a sunbeam effect as Kasuga rides his moped. It gives the impression of sunlight streaming through the trees It's a setting that's very consistent with episodes 47 and 48 of the TV series, so I feel like this is a good one to watch here. In this opening, we get an interesting voiceover. We hear a phone conversation between Ayukawa and Kasuga, which presumably took place earlier during which time Ayukawa asks Kasuga for a favor. And in this episode, Kasuga seems a little older here, too. He's driving a scooter, which we don't see him ever drive. In the TV series, his character design seems a little older too. It seems intentional that they're depicting him as a few years older than the TV series, as if they're taking into account the lapse in time from 1988, the end of the TV series, to 1990, the release of this OVA. And in his voiceover, Kosuga remarks that this story takes place in May, which is a little problematic for placing this episode within the TV series timeline, along with him seeming older. I suspect that it's an anachronism that the filmmakers simply weren't very worried about. Tight continuity has never really been a high priority for Orange Road filmmakers. It's always been more about telling a fun story than making sure that all of the finer details fit together perfectly. I've previously speculated that Koska seems to be narrating his voiceover from some point in the future. And as such, he might not be a perfectly reliable narrator as an explanation for the anachronisms that we see with the OVA, trying to fit them in amongst the television series timeline. It could also be that this episode does take place after the events of episode 48, though it seems very unlikely as Ayukawa does not seem to know about the power. Kasuga seems very keen to keep it a secret from her and the others here, on top of the fact that presumably after episode 48, Ayukawa traveled to the U.S. for some time to visit her family and kissed Kasuga. An alternative could be that this episode takes place in May of 1987, which would actually place these events somewhere around episode 6, 7, or 8, which feels a little early for the events we witness here. Kasuga didn't seem to know that he could even swap bodies with someone until Kazuya came along somewhere in the fall of 1987. So it's definitely anachronistic for Kasuga to understand that body swapping is possible and understand the mechanic by banging heads with Hayakawa at the end of the episode. So even though Kasuga's recollection that it's occurring in May seems very precise to be unreliable. That's still the most plausible way for me to reconcile this episode with 
the rest of the anime continuity. And for a moment early on in this episode, Kasuga seems blissful. He's happy that it's spring. He's happy that Ayukawa called him for a favor. His response is suddenly dashed by the loud sound of Hayakawa Mitsuru's promo truck blaring Hayakawa's hits and littering the street with promotional flyers. Really, they ought to get him for that. They should write him a ticket. But this moment is a metaphor for the episode at large as it reflects Hayakawa's entrance into Kasuga's life and how Hayakawa coming to town shakes things up for him and could potentially disrupt Kasuga's status quo. Hayakawa introduces a chaos that disrupts Kasuga, derailing his general satisfaction and optimism early in this episode, as we see from Kasuga's encounter here. Even before Hayakawa and Kasuga encounter each other, Hayakawa is disrupting Kasuga's balance. When Kasuga arrives at the recording studio, we get some shots of Yukari and Shu's band practicing, so we start that scene with a few MTV music video style shots, some close-ups of Yukari performing the vocals, the other band members in their instruments. We progress to a long shot of the whole band. From inside the mixing and recording booth along the bottom of the frame, we can see the various knobs and dials. Kasuga flicks on the light when he enters the room, and suddenly you see his reflection in the glass partition. As a reflection, he's transparent, and he's superimposed over the band, who you can still see through the glass. It's a kind of a cool shot. It reminds you that the OVA have a good bit better production value than the series. There's actually a few moments in this episode that remind you that this has a better production value overall than your standard episode of the TV series. And so this is a really pretty cool scene, even though, in my opinion, the song here is possibly the weakest bop in the entire Orange Road franchise, unfortunately. It just doesn't stand up to some of the other music out there. Furthermore, this sequence makes it clear to us that Ayukawa is in her element when she's playing music. She's literally f***ing sparkling as she's playing the keyboard in the band. She's wearing a broad smile. She seems pleased Kasuga showed up. Kasuga is speechless as he witnesses this too. I mean, he's seeing the glitter coming off of Ayukawa. She's sparkling in his eyes. It's a subjective depiction of Ayukawa. We're seeing Ayukawa on screen, how Kasuga envisions and imagines her. Radiant. So he's really captivated by her talent in this moment. And I think he's able to appreciate how important music is for her. And I don't imagine that this is a revelatory moment. Kasuga is well aware of Ayukawa's musical talents. But it's interesting because when Kasuga touches the mixing board in the studio control room, he literally feels the music. Electricity touches his hand in jolts, almost like Kasuga's power is interfacing with the music vis-a-vis the mixing boards and electronics. It makes me wonder if they're trying to portray a weak telepathy here. It allows him to feel the music through the interface. And he's never demonstrated electric powers like this in the past. The closest I can recall is OVA4, the Hurricane Akane episode during the ending scene um, when he destroys all the lights with his power. 
you might call that having some effect on the electricity, but it, that seemed to me more like his collateral damage effect. Like in uh, Shikaru Passes Away episode when he destroys her headstone, he didn't really mean to destroy her headstone, but it's part of the collateral damage of him focusing his power and really trying to do something very powerful. It didn't seem like it was specific to the electric fixtures in Hurricane Akane. It seemed like other stuff got trashed too, like the stools and the glasses and stuff. So this seems like a very particular and peculiar and distinct depiction of Casca's ESP that occurs here in this episode. And I think it shows a development of his kind of empathetic nature that's maybe moving towards a light bit of telepathy. He's not on Kazia's level. Maybe he never will be, but it seems like he's able to intuit more and pick up on more specific details that we'll see later in this episode. Also, I suppose that we can conclude that Shu and Yukari are back together after leaving them in a pretty ambiguous place at the end of the Winter Beach episode. We never really got closure on their relationship. We know that they were in a really rough spot in the Winter Beach episode, but we never see them make up or reconcile or or call it a day and go their separate ways. Here, we get a little bit of closure on their relationship because this episode and the next one is the last time we're going to see those characters. So it's nice to get a little closure here with those two. Now, when Kosuka finds out that Ayukawa and her band are going to compete in the talent scout show, Kasuga, of course, immediately worries that Ayuko is going to get Harvey Weinstein. He has a flashback to his earlier moped ride, which reveals that Hata and Komatsu are also promoting Hayakawa's tour in hopes of mopping up the ladies that can't get to Hayakawa himself. They refer to these girls as leftovers in the translation, essentially sloppy seconds to use a common, albeit coarse, term. Kasuga displays a little bit of possessiveness over Ayukawa. He imagines some quid pro quo sexual shit between Ayukawa and Hayakawa, and this recalls Kasuga's primary insecurity in the entire franchise. He's insecure about his own relative immaturity, naivety, inexperience. He feels very threatened by someone like Hayakawa, who is suave and confident, got drip. This is going to be Kasuga's conflict in this episode. The body swap is a mechanic for him to get to experience Hayakawa as not just a womanizer who uses his fame to score with ladies, but it also builds a satisfying arc for both Kasuga and Hayakawa. And so I think this episode is a really good example of the body swap thing done right. Also, I'm thinking Kasuga gets smacked a lot in the OVAs. Ayukawa is almost immediately cute. After she smacks him, she does a little tongue-out thing. Only moments later. It's sort of a weird dynamic that's always been kind of difficult for me to understand that she goes from smacking him full force across the face to sticking her tongue out and being cutesy with him. It, It doesn't jive in my mind. But in this episode, what I really appreciated was the take on the celebrity life as they depict it here. All of the non-celebrity characters fawn over this idol, with the exception of Ayukawa. But the star himself resents his loss of freedom that comes with being famous. He can't just go out for a coffee or grab a casual bite to eat. Also, he resents the constraints on his own creative expression. 
That's maybe more of a theme for the next episode, but it certainly applies here as well. Hearing Hayakawa's voiceover and getting a window into his experience so early in the episode helps to build his character a little bit. It allows us as the audience to identify with him despite his celebrity, despite his womanizing We're still able to feel for the guy a little bit. You can imagine how it would be to be so famous that you just can't go out in public. People recognize you. It doesn't matter if you got a hat and sunglasses and a mask on. People are still going to recognize you. Just doing normal things like walking through a bookstore while drinking a coffee become impossible. Just as Hayakawa is pining for his anonymity, Kasuga is simultaneously coveting the benefits of stardom. He imagines a life without school, exams, homework. He imagines the wealth, the resources, the adoration, the women. He misperceives Hayakawa's lack of freedom. He doesn't get it. Kasuga doesn't know yet. He hasn't experienced it. Kasuga presumes that Hayakawa's resources provide him with freedom, that they're equivalent to freedom. When in fact, Hayakawa's celebrity robs him of his freedom, just as I was saying a moment ago. He's not free to do something as simple as go out for dinner with the girl he likes. While Kasuga is, Kasuga has a sense of freedom already that Hayakawa can't touch, but he's not able to appreciate it yet. And that's why the body swap mechanic is done so well in this episode. Kasuga also assumes that someone like Hayakawa would have no trouble with women, but we see that that's not the case in this episode. There may be a lot of women chasing after him, but he nonetheless has trouble with Shikaru-chan, with Ayukawa. He's got an old flame, Shiori, that he hasn't connected with in a long time. And so all of this is key setup for their Freaky Friday shit about to go down. The characters are primed for a body swap. And in an instant, Kasuga and Hayakawa are granted their respective wishes. We immediately jump into the be careful what you wish for scenarios. Kasuga is surrounded by girls clamoring for his attention. It seems that the body swapping power can be used with a non-esper. Our previous instances of body swapping have been done between mutual espers. It's only been Kasuga and Kazuya who switch bodies. The use of the power has interesting potential implications as well. Kasuga acknowledges that he and Hayakawa may have swapped because they were both wishing for it in that moment. As an aside, today's episode is possibly the only time that Kasuga's narration has shown omniscience. How would he have known what Hayakawa was wishing before they met? The fact that Kasuga's own sisters are among the first to mob him in Hayakawa's body, unfortunately goes unexplored in this episode, nor is it commented upon that Hata and Komatsu are seen amongst the throng of female fans chasing down Hayakawa. Is this maybe an indication that they are more interested in Hayakawa than they let on? And I always wondered what happens next when the mob of fans finally catches the star that they're chasing down. If they were foxhounds, or if this was a zombie movie, they'd just start tearing him to shreds, like rending him limb from limb. One person going off with an arm, the other person running off with a leg. But what does a mob like this really do? I mean, do they tear his clothes off and just go after it? Do they all take selfies until they gradually grow bored and dissipate? 
Do they all band together, throw a bag over his head, toss him in a panel van and drive him to an unknown location and just keep him in a subterranean dungeon? Alas, we may never know. Hayakawa as Kasuga does not initially know that he's swapped bodies. Shikaru responds well to what she perceives as Kasuga's possessiveness. She's really flattered, unlike Ayukawa. Kasuga's jealousy is proof that he covets her, that he wants her to himself. It's a point of contrast between the two girls that's brought to the fore in this episode. I've made it no secret that I find Shikaru to be fairly manipulative. There are several episodes that I can point to that I've discussed earlier in this podcast series, and she didn't seem very interested in Hayakawa. Perhaps being a campaign girl was less about her interest in Hayakawa and more about getting a jealous reaction from Kasuga. It's possible. For her part, Shikaru seems genuine in saying that she thinks Kasuga is better than Hayakawa. She prefers him to the idol. And so Hayakawa has his be careful what you wish for moment here when he finally realizes that he swapped bodies. He sees his, or should I say, Kasuga's reflection in a storefront window. And with that shot, we get another pretty well-done reflection animation of Kasuga in a pane of glass, similar to what we saw when he was in the recording booth. And Hayakawa calls Kasuga ugly in his panic. He wishes for anonymity, but then he balks at a normal appearance. He doesn't want to be treated like a superstar pop idol, but, but at the same time, he doesn't want to look like a normal person either. And I don't think that Hayakawa calling Kasuga ugly in this scene is meant to indicate that Kasuga is objectively unattractive. Kasuga is not really animated as homely like Hata is. But here it's more that Hayakawa has this inflated sense of his own beauty, which is likely a result of his status as an idol and everyone kissing his ass, telling him how awesome he is. And Kasuga's voiceover is applied very well here too. Even though he's not present here to react to Hayakawa's dialogue about his face, Kasuga still responds with a sarcastic thanks in the voiceover. It's again uncharacteristically omniscient of Kasuga's voiceover. He wasn't present. There's no reason for Shikaru to later tell Kasuga what Hayakawa said while in his body because Shikaru is never aware of the body swap. It's more of a meta, maybe extra narrative commentary by Kasuga. He acknowledges the joke a little bit to underscore it for the audience. The plot thickens with Kasuga as Hayakawa's rescue by Hayakawa's old sweetheart, Shiori. Don't bother wondering how she knew where and when to find him. Maybe she told the cab driver to follow the big group of girls running down the sidewalk. And Kasuga also admits that he enjoyed the thrill of her kiss, even though it was just a little peck on the cheek. No big deal. Our next cut shows the city skyline after night has fallen. It's a pretty standard establishing shot, and it's followed by another fairly standard establishing shot of a hallway lined with doors up and down both walls. So we immediately recognize this as a hotel corridor. We see that Shiori is showering while Kasuga as Hayakawa is taking a nap passed out, something like that. He then wakes up in this strange situation, strange place, a strange woman taking a shower. And it's kind of like a flashback of the Winter Beach episode where he spent the night at Yukari's place. 
Kasuga even seems to express a little hope that he might get some action here. He has that fantasy about Shiori coming out of the bathroom and disrobing and offering herself up to him. At the same time, Hayakawa, of course, gets to spend time with Kasuga's acquaintances. Shikaru is super amused, beyond super amused, by Hayakawa as Kasuga's impression of himself, essentially. Hayakawa then proceeds to big up himself as Kasuga, talking about how super cool he thinks Hayakawa is. He's like promoting himself when he realizes that he's supposed to be acting like someone else. It's like the time I pretended to be someone else and left myself a glowing five-star review on my own podcast. Hayakawa displays obvious signs of ego driven by his stardom. He lamented the loss of his super cool face, and as Kasuga, he describes himself as really cool and wishing to be like him. He seems to have intuited that he swapped bodies somehow, and he also immediately rolls with it tries to make the best of it. He's an opportunist. In his interaction with Shikaru, he exhibits an expectation for sex. As Shikaru thanks him for dinner, he thinks she should repay him with a little treat. But bruh, she's like 15, and Hayakawa, you gotta be at least early 20s. I'm not accepting anything younger than 22, 23 for Hayakawa. You're like eight years older than this girl, and she's like definitely a young teenager. So it's a little bit weird. It's a little bit creepy. The age difference there, he ought to know. She's a little too young for him to be messing around with. And while Hayakawa seems to be driving his interactions with Shikaru and later Ayukawa toward the sexual for the purpose of his own gratification, Kasuga seems much more to be along for the ride. It's Kasuga's normal passive approach to women when they pursue him. Ultimately, he's a people pleaser, so he's apt to just go with the flow of what others want to do. On the other hand, Hayakawa displays a confidence that must seem out of character for Kasuga. I also appreciated that Hayakawa and Kasuga's internal monologues continued to be delivered by their own respective voice actors. The voices in their head were themselves, while their spoken lines are delivered by the actors whose bodies they inhabited. Again, Kasuga is able to intuit a bit about Shiori without being a telepath himself. It might be evidence for a little bit of weak telepathy developing here, and it possibly tells us that powers develop over time and with use. Like a lot of other skills, it's something that you get better at as you practice. Maybe. When Shiori touches his hand on their way to dinner, there's a close-up shot of their hands as they touch, and we see that same glitter animation from earlier, the sparkling light coming forth from their hands, like when Ayukawa was playing the keyboard. It visually implies this mental, emotional connection that Casca may have made with Shiori. He's picking up something from her. When Shiori leans in a moment later to touch his face, we see that shimmering glitter once again, and Casca somehow witnesses an entire flashback of Hayakawa's pre-fame relationship with Shiori. He says he picked up on what she was thinking. Has he finally unlocked a degree of telepathy? This causes Kasuga to reevaluate Hayakawa a bit. He's no doubt better able to identify with Hayakawa as a young student in love with his classmate. They have that in common, after all. The flashback is presented in black and white, invoking nostalgia, 
with the exception of the cherry blossoms. Those are their usual pinkish color. And this effect helps to set the flashback apart from the rest of the episode stylistically. It lets you know that you're looking at a flashback. There's also a thoughtful use of framing in the cross dissolve from Shiori's face in the flashback to Shiori's face in the present day. They're positioned in exactly the same spot in the frame, so we can cross dissolve from one to the other without much of a change in the composition of the image. That flash forward without Shiori moving tells us that she still has feelings for Hayakawa. She doesn't move from then till now on screen in the frame. It tells us that she's in the same emotional place as well. She still loves Hayakawa. And this moves Kasuga. He decides to help her find the real Hayakawa, which he's got to do anyway to get his body back. And there's a tabloid angle here when he's out to dinner with Shiori that indicates Hayakawa's continued success relies upon the perception that he is available. He's unattached. He's not in a relationship. Well, I would prefer we kept your marriage a secret. You see, a lot of women are going to want to have sex with you, and uh, we want them to think they can. As she bids him farewell, she calls him Hayakawa Mitsuru rather than Hayakawa Kazuto, after initially insisting on calling him by his actual name. This indicates that her goodbye here is meant to be permanent. She's acknowledging that he's not Kazuto anymore. Kasuga, of course, asks her to stay a bit longer as he's a people pleaser, and this seems to be what Shiori was hoping for as well. He's going to try to help fix him back up. Hayakawa gets a sense of how small this town sometimes feels when he runs into Ayukawa, and she recognizes him in Kasuga's body. There's a cool lighting animation here, too, as a car drives by, its headlights pass over Ayukawa's figure, which briefly illuminates her. Really bright for just one moment. And the animation here is definitely a little bit more flashy than the first few OVA as well, like White Lovers and Hawaiian Suspense. They don't get these nifty shots. So you can see the production value coming through here. Hayakawa, to his credit, doesn't seem 100% committed to his pursuit of Ayukawa. When he's in the high school audiovisual production room, he remembers being in a similar room with Shiori. It's a small touch, but it's a nice representation of nostalgia and reminiscing the way a sound or an image, a place, can launch a memory to the forefront of your mind. Something you haven't thought about in years, maybe. You hear a song, you see something, all of a sudden you're reminded. We see him pulled back to the past and remember Shiori. Hayakawa recognizes the parallel between Ayukawa and Shiori thanks to a shared line of dialogue. Both women called Hayakawa out for having self-serving motives in his pursuit of fame. They think he's just doing it to get chicks. Hayakawa told Shiori, however, that he wanted to be a singer so he could make her happy. But meanwhile, he's just trying to bang every girl Kasuga's ever met. He's just trying to make himself happy. He has forgotten his primary motivation for wanting to become successful. And he finally realizes here that the fame and the women and the notoriety have not made him happy. He's not happy in his life despite everything that he's got. And I think that's actually very realistic. I think that's a bit of the celebrity lifestyle that Orange Road gets right here. 
He accepts that he's been selfishly driven by his own baser instincts. And both Shikaru and Ayukawa that evening showed a preference for Kasuga. They both respectively insisted that Kasuga is either much cooler than Hayakawa, as Shikaru insisted, or that Hayakawa is a womanizer, like Ayukawa said. When juxtaposed with his walk down memory lane, it seems that Hayakawa is able to reflect on his priorities and what really matters for securing his long-term happiness. All the money and fame only saw him ducking fans and hiding out from tabloid reporters, worried about scandals and probably positive pregnancy tests too. But by the end of the episode, he's ready to let go of the lifestyle that's serving him so poorly, making his actual reunion with Shiori a short but satisfying character arc. On the other hand, Kasuga seems quite relieved that Ayukawa was not swayed by Hayakawa's celebrity. She wasn't vulnerable to the fleeting attractions of a rich pop star who blows in and out of town. Interestingly, the next episode is going to pick up immediately following this one to explore the potential consequences of Hayakawa's experience with Kasuga body swapping. And two-parters are very rare in the Orange Road anime. Episodes 47 and 48 are the only other examples of a two-parter. Even though episode 18 and 19 and episodes 20 and 21 take place in the same respective settings, they don't really carry over any narrative elements from the previous episode. There's no to-be-continued, except for at the end of OVA 5 and at the end of episode 47. Multi-part story arcs aren't exactly the norm in the manga either, but they do seem to be a little bit more common there. What I really want to know, though, is how in the fuck Kasuga and Shiori be hearing Hayakawa talking to Ayukawa from the sidewalk outside the fucking school. That's crazy. He got ESP hearing if he can hear them. But Shiori doesn't, and she heard them. I want to know. Explain that to me, Terada Kenji. Guys, written 87 episodes of Orange Robe. These people standing on the sidewalk... 50 yards away can hear people talking indoors makes no sense but you know what does make sense heading on over to patreon.com slash team almy and becoming a patron of team almy studios that makes all the sense in the world because i'm gonna send you free merch that's a thing that's gonna happen also i got bonus content up there i've got video content i've got uh, exclusive podcast called Shit Happens When You Party Naked that's only available to patrons. So why don't you head on over? Do yourself a favor. Do me a favor. Do us all a favor. Make the world a better place. Head over to patreon.com slash teamalmy and please become a patron. I want to thank brand new patron Mike N for joining us this month. We love you and be on the lookout for your merch pack. It's on its way, buddy. Thank you very much to all of my patrons. I really, really appreciate you guys for helping to pay the rent on Team Almy Studios and keep the lights on over here. I guess I could podcast in the dark, right? But it's nice to have a few lights going. I don't have to light candles over here. Also, I want to encourage you to please check out Creatures of the Night podcast. They're seven days a week and at best 
only one episode of Avocado Cafe for you to listen to. You need more podcasts for the other days of the week, so please check out Creatures of the Night podcast. I'm on that podcast. It's kooky. It's wild. It's crazy, but it's fun. So check it out. I'll leave a link in the show notes for you. We're going to be back next week to talk about the follow-up OVA 6, Birth of a Star. I want to thank everybody again for listening. I appreciate you so much. I'm going to deviate from my norm of playing some kind of remix of an Orange Road track. Today, I'm going to give you something a little bit different. I had to search the internet far and wide to find a version of this song that was appropriately edited because I'm not trying to slap an explicit tag on this RSS, and I don't want to get yanked by Apple for not slapping an explicit tag on this RSS. But I got to play this song. I'm sorry if it gets stuck in your head, guys, but I had to play this song because it just fits too well with the theme of this episode. This is essentially a rap version of this episode. Lil Dicky is clearly a fan of Orange Road, and he might have made Chris Brown sit down and watch the series. It could be possible. I'm sorry if it gets stuck in your head. See you next week. I woke up Chris Breezy. Oh my God, I'm the man. I'm so fly and I can dance. There's tattoos on my neck. I just FaceTime Kanye. I told him I'm his biggest friend, yeah. Got all these in my DM. Hold up. Holy shit, I got a kid. Oh, I can sing so well. Wonder if I can sit in work. Wait, can I really sit in work? Big up smile, we are mine. You be so yes, man, for God. Cause I'm that, I'm that oh. I woke up in Chris Brown's body. So hot, it turned into Freaky Friday. But we got no choice but to turn this bitch sideways. I can't believe that it's Freaky Friday. It's Freaky Friday. I woke up and I'm Lil Dicky. Lil Dicky? Ah. What the hell? This real weak. How's staying perched up on his b- like that? Walking down the street and ain't nobody know my name. Whoa. Ain't no paparazzi flashing pictures. This is great. Whoa. Ain't nobody judging because I'm black for my controversial past. I'ma go and see a movie and relax. Whoa. Hey, I'm a blood, but I can finally wear blue. Cool. Why's his mama calling all the time? Leave me the f alone, bitch. Wait, if I'm a diggy body, breezy is who? Hope my daughter's in school. If I was Chris Brown, where would I be? What would I do? Body, where would I be? I'm trying to find myself like an introspective monk. I'm balling on the court, oh my god, I can do Snap a flick of my is trending on Twitter? Oh. Now I'm at the club, I tell my way to get in. Hey. I look up in the VIP, my goodness, there I am. Hey. I say no two won't let me in, but he won't let me in. I don't know who that is. Wait, who the fuck you think he is? Hey. Took a glass bottle, shatter it on the bouncer's head. Welcome to that motherfucker. Thank you, too, boy. Said. If you hurt me, then you only hurt yourself. But wait, I love myself. That was the key, now it's such a bad. I woke up in Chris Brown's body. 
No choice but to turn this bitch sideways. I woke up in Chris Brown's body.